Ozark Highlands Radio is brought to you by the Ozark Folk Center State Park in Mountain View, Arkansas, a wonderful way to enjoy yesterday. On the web at ozarkfolkcenter.com. Hey everybody, this is Dave Smith, host of Ozark Highlands Radio. Welcome to our show. This week we're going to meet a couple of fine musicians and songwriters from the part of the Ozarks that includes Northwest Arkansas. That is the dynamic duo called Still on the Hill. We'll also hear folklorist Brooks Blevins answer the question, exactly where are the Ozarks anyway? And we'll take a trip down into the vault to see what gem Mark Jones has found this week. All that and more this week on Ozark Highlands Radio. Fiddler Donna Mulholland and her banjo-playing husband, Kelly, realized many years ago that the real treasure of the Ozarks is the old-timers who still retain the self-sufficient lifestyle that has been passed down in these mountains for generations. For many years now, they've sought out interesting older folks and learned their stories and music, then wrote songs about these interesting people and their stories. They have been described as ambassadors of the Ozarks for the work they do to preserve a culture that is rapidly disappearing. Let's start our show off with some songs they've written about these interesting people of the Ozarks. Here is Still on the Hill with the Ballad of Otis and Osi. They play all these strange instruments. They write their own songs. They travel all over presenting this, what they're, what they're going to present to you tonight. They are uh, recipients of the Governor's Folk Life Award. Make welcome Still on the Hill. <laughs> Thank you, Dave. Thank you. Thank you all for being here. What a pleasure. So uh, this is Donna, and my name's Kelly, and we are still on the hill. And uh, you know, we love to write songs about the Ozarks. Uh, we just can't help but writing our own songs. We have a, a great respect for the tradition, and I think maybe we'll even wind up with a traditional tune before we're done here tonight. But we'll start with a song, true story about some folks from Harrison, Arkansas, not all that far from here. Their, their names were Otis and Osi. So this is the ballad of Otis and Osi. Ready? Yep. Here we go. Life at the mill Just to make sure his family could eat Miss Osie, they say she could dance all night Gave it up for the Lord Preacher man gave her a fright Together, Together they, they lived, raised their kids on the land But the faith in the word while their hopes slipped like sand Born. It was hard to fill so many miles 
on the earth just to make sure his family could eat. She'd wait and rely on her faith To keep them from the depths of abandon They worked every day in a desperate way That only people living on dreams can And one day they tell Daddy Otis he fell Let Miss Ocean there a cry With four kids alone she would make their home Wishing and a praying and a dreaming Of her grandmother's ghost fireside. Miss Rosie, she said, You can't bring back the dead. So why are you laying there crying? Go hop the next train, help ease the pain of your niece living over at Sharpsburg. Your brother is bad and it's making me sad, knowing that he's doing sissy wrong. Well, Lucas worked the mill, but he soon had his fill. Oh, cutting them forest in lumber But never did drop Till his party did stop And one day left his family forever So she lives on But her mind's almost gone On a good day she knows her own name In a bed, in a room She lives in the gloom Wondering when the good Lord will take her They live by the word But they never had her of living their life for the moment. Otis is gone, but his memory lives on in the frail empty shell that is O.C. About 20 years ago, um, we got together. Uh, we were all had somehow meandered together, maybe through a recording studio in Fayetteville, mm -hmm. and um, we found that we were on the same page. Not just Don and I, but two other people, uh, Philip Lancaster and John Johnston. And so we had an upright bass and banjo and guitar and fiddle, like a regular bluegrass band, basically, uh, for the first six years, I think. And we, we that was going well. We toured hard with that band. We played all over the country and up in Canada and and we're doing a lot of festivals. But it just became unwieldy, you know, how things go when you're trying to get four adults on the same page. And um, they're still very dear friends, but we all splintered off and doing our own thing. And Don and I became a duo and never looked That's back. True. This, is a, this is another true story. And uh, sometimes we gravitate, to, especially tonight, we're gonna gravitate towards instrument makers. The, the gentleman you're looking at is, is Mr. Bose, Mr. Denton Bose. Uh, he lived in, in Russellville, Arkansas. Um, he's been deceased for probably 
almost 30 years now. Yeah, I met him. I met him probably about 40 years ago, and I had never seen the kind of poverty he lived in. He had a one-room shack with cracks in the walls and newspaper crammed into the cracks to insulate it and keep it warm. And all he had in his little cabin was a rickety rocking chair, a little wood-burning stove, and fiddles on the wall that he had carved. I remember one had a mockingbird on the back, and they were so beautiful. And so for the next 30 years or so, I dreamed I would go back and buy one of his fiddles. So just before he passed away, I found him again. And it was nothing like I remembered. His shack was more tumbling down, and there was only two beat-up fiddles left on the wall. So I didn't get one back then, but instead, I decided to write my very first song about him as a way of keeping his memory and his story alive. And then something amazing happened. Yeah, actually, we were, we were playing a concert down in Russellville, and, or I guess Lake Dardanelle, the state park there, actually. And uh, a gentleman came up after the concert, and uh, he, he introduced himself and said, you know, I really appreciate you all playing that song about Mr. Bose. He was my best friend. And uh, in fact, uh, this, when, when Mr. Bose passed away and he had no family and no children, no wife, uh, they left all his belongings to this gentleman. And he said, you know, I have the last fiddle he ever made and I'm going to give it to you guys. And so now we can actually play Mr. Bose on a Mr. Bose fiddle. We're so pleased. Thank you. But this fiddle is not an ordinary fiddle. He made this in 1976 for the bicentennial, and he carved the Liberty Bell on the back, the little crack and everything. But even more amazing, he made this whole fiddle with nothing but a little pocket knife and an axe. So this is called the Ode to Mr. Bose. All right.
to me he is a legend, if only in my mind. And in the song his memory will remain. As I think about him now, I wish that he had more. I've never seen such poverty and strife. But who's to say what's rich? Lord, who's to say what's poor? He had a wealth of music in his life. Mr. Bose, oh, Mr. Bose, that good old making man. And he played. for interesting people who have interesting stories. And it just so happens that a lot of these interesting people we've met are instrument makers. And it's starting to add up. And now we have a really nice little collection of instruments that are homemade. And every one of them has a story. And thanks to Donna, every one of them has a song and sometimes several songs. And we just, we find that just kind of the show and tell approach to bringing these fascinating one of a kind instruments and then singing a song about the person who made it. Uh, seems to really work for us. But Jim Lee, this the top of this is made out of a very sacred, special cedar tree. And um, the banjo that we're going to play in a little while that he made is also made out of the special cedar tree. Mm -hmm. He lives in Nebraska, and he's a tree whisperer. He can look at a tree and see an instrument in the tree. And he said a tornado ripped through the local cemetery years ago and knocked down this one giant, giant cedar tree. And when he went to go get the tree to make some instruments, he noticed there were graves all around the tree from just after the Civil War of young children that had died of smallpox. And that tree, that cedar tree, had been planted there in honor of those children. So he has made many, many instruments out of that special, special tree. And so um, I wrote a song about, from the guitar's perspective, being made in that cedar tree. And we got to go a couple weeks ago to Nebraska, to that graveyard, and play these instruments and sing it for those children. And um, so we've only done this once or twice before, yep. and so it's brand new, but it's called The Cedar and the Wood Thrush. The wood Thrush. By the way, we heard a wood thrush today when we were walking around the building. One of the most beautiful bird calls of all the bird calls. Is the first one I've heard this year. Are you ready? Yep, as ready as I'll ever be. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. 
One hundred years, I grew tall and strong. The wind in my branches sang those children a song. In the dog days of summer, my leaves blocked the sun. I whispered stories when the winters grew long. I thrilled at the sound of the wood thrush in spring. Oh, I listened close. He taught me to sing. One day a tornado ripped through town. It ripped across the graveyard, tearing me down. My broken limbs laying dead on the ground. My canopy gone, my shade done gone. But the wood thrush's song inside me lives on. That was Kelly and Donna Mulholland, still on the hill. We'll hear more from them later in our show. After a short break, let's go down to the vault and visit my buddy Mark Jones. This is Ozark Highlands Radio from the Ozark Folk Center State Park. Okay, we got this now. <laughs> hey, taters. <laughs> Thank you. 
Let's take a trip down into the vault, down to where Mark Jones keeps all the recordings from the Folk Center over the years. Let's see what's going on down there today. Hey, Mark, are you down here? Yeah, I'm here, Dave. It's a little... It's kind of dingy down it here. Is. We need to get you some light bulbs down here, man. I think I do need some. I don't. What kind do I need? Them glow-in-the-dark kind? <laughs> you need what? something brighter than what you got, that's for sure. Hey, uh, Mark, you know, I was, we talked a while back about uh, Ida and Percy Copeland, who played for years here at the Folk Center. I recall they had a bunch of kids, didn't they? And they played music as well. Dave, they did. They had uh, quite a few, I think four or five kids. And, uh, and you know what amazed me is they all sang different parts in harmony. And I know you're used to that. You do that with Robert and Mary. Dave, I'm amazed at some of the uh, songs. And ha there's nothing like family harmony. And uh, these kids all grew up together. And that was just kind of entertainment. And they probably all started out singing in church as well. Probably so. Probably so. And then, you know, through the weekends or through the weeknights, there wasn't a whole lot to do around here. And so they'd all gather around and sing. And uh, it just got better and better. And when I met them in uh, 1973, uh, they were doing some songs and a lot of gospel material. And uh, here's one. If you'll listen to this with me, I'd love it. It's called, It's Me Again, Lord. It's me again, Lord. I've got a prayer that needs an answer. It's me again, Lord. I've got a problem I can't solve. Now I don't need to worry. But here I am facing something new I need help that only comes from you It's me again, Lord I know you're mighty busy up in heaven Forming nights and hanging stars to shine but you promised if I'd ask, I'd receive it. So here I am, Lord, asking on my knees. It's me again, Lord. I've got a prayer that needs an answer. It's me again, Lord. I've got a problem I can't solve. Now I don't need to worry you, but here I am facing something new. I need help that only comes from you. It's me again, Lord. Troubles come and I can't find an answer. Loneliness, our spirits can't But you promised if I'd ask, I'd receive it. So here I am, Lord, asking one. 
one more time. It's me again, Lord. I've got a prayer that needs an answer. It's me again, Lord. I've got a problem I can't solve. Now I don't need to worry you, but here I am facing something new. I need help that only comes from you. It's me again, Lord. Wow, that's a great tune, Mark. I, you know, I don't think I've ever heard that song before. It's an old hymn, and uh, I I haven't heard it in a long time. I run across it the other day, and there was Dale, Betty, Wilma, and Norman Copeland that I remember playing music with and traveling with, with Jimmy Driftwood, and uh, it was just, it was a lot of fun at that time of my life. You know, it's one of my theories that why music has stayed so important around here is because under the mountain here, they couldn't get television for many, many, many years after the rest of the country had it. So families like the Copelands, instead of sitting around watching TV at night, they would play music together. That's true. That's true. There wasn't a lot of things to do, uh, but you enjoy each other's company and sing and play music. Well, thanks a lot, Mark. Hey, I will see you again next week, okay? Good. I'm glad. Come on down anytime, Dave. One thing that sets Kelly and Donna Mulholland apart from other old-time musicians is their storytelling. A typical Still on the Hill concert is an educational as well as an entertaining experience. Let's listen to a few more of their songs recorded live here at the Ozark Folk Center. Into the case. So the case itself is the dulcimer. <laughs> So, yep, yep, it's true. Oh, my pick. You need a pick? Yeah, it was there, but it right. went away. <laughs> so this is this is a really touching song um, about Jack Bland and his wife. Yay. Of all people to ask for a pick. He never uses one. I never use a pick, ever. But I have some picks. Yay! <laughs> all right. This is called Rest in Peace, Jack Bland. Ready, one. He buried Melinda on the far side of the river Never did he dream that he Outlive her, oh how she loved the dogwoods when they were in bloom. Every day upon her grave, he placed a blossom or two. In the month of May, he'd bring her purple violets, an evening primrose, June cleared through August, and the dog days of summer, orange bittersweet. It grew by the roadside, so that's what he brings. Bring. 
every day without fail he'd visit her grave october through november he'd bring her queen anne's lace and lovely winter jasmine when december came a team of wild horses couldn't keep him away and may the rains came and flooded rocky branch he tried to get across but he never had the chance they buried jack land beside melinda's grave they removed to higher ground when they built beaver lake beneath the lovely dogwood that blossoms every spring no need to cross the river now he's resting in peace no need to cross the river I have friends, for instance, who can who make a, a compelling argument that folk music is the the music that we all know collectively, and so really that would be things like the Beatles and Paul Simon and you know things that, that every sings. things that like for instance if you go up to a ten year old they know the Beatles songs, and they also know Rolling Stones and they, there's things that they all know and and dun, Michael dun, Jackson dun, and you know dun, dun, so bada. so in other words. What we're doing could be considered antiquated and just trying to relive something that really doesn't exist anymore. But, you know, that's really not true either. Um, the fact is there are still bits and pieces, remnants of tradition still holding on. And Don and I have spent a lot of time documenting and finding these people and just trying to, you know, take their temperature and, and you know, maybe be a sponge and take on some of that magic and try to put it to use and try to keep that lineage going because for some reason, and I can't even explain why, but I think it's important to keep our roots intact, as I said earlier. And one way to do that is to to make sure that you're on somebody else's shoulders and not just making a bunch of noise. Um, I, I, I don't think there's a right answer to the right or wrong answer. I think the word is becoming less and less useful useful all the time. If you really want to know what I think about it, is I think it all went started to go fall apart when we started learning how to record music. As soon as you record music, the oral tradition began to fall apart. And so originally it was or the orally, orally passed down. Right. And so now, that, as soon as you could suddenly make a, a hundred thousand copies and scatter it all over the United States, uh, the, the rules changed. And so the, the, the old term, the pure use of the old term, you know, music transmitted in the oral tradition, is not really useful anymore. And so we have to make it up as we go now. <laughs> we're, we're out on a limb, you might say. Thank you. Thank you, thank, thank you. you. So this is, uh, this is Jesse Jones. He's from Cass, Arkansas. And uh, he, we met him on a, on a day he, was, he had just turned 20, 95 years old. Pretty sprightly young man. Uh, a great storyteller, a great whittler. Uh, he made banjos out of pressure cookers, which I was impressed by. I never got my hands on one. But uh, a wonderful storyteller. Let me get one of the stories he told us was about called Seven Pies. He said when he was a little boy, he loved apple pie, and his mama told him that dead dogwood burns the hottest, and if she, he would gather some dead dogwood and a bushel of apples, and if he would peel the apples, she would make him seven pies, and he could eat them all himself. And he said he did. 
So, <laughs> this and, is, by the way, Donna's getting ready to play the, uh, the jackassophone, in case you were wondering. That was told to us by Violet Hensley from Yellville. We figure if she can say it, we can say it, right? All it's right. A, it's a mule jawbone, and no mules were harmed in the making of this. It, he died of old age. That's right. We're pretty sure about that. Here we go. If I chop good cook wood, she'd bake me an apple pie. Big dog would burn the hot, especially if it's good and dry. I peeled apples, I chopped wood, helped my mom the best I could. Must have been the apple of her eye, cause mama baked me seven pies. Seven pies, seven pies, mama baked me seven pies. Three disciples tucked inside, I sure love them seven pies. Full of cinnamon and spice One piece, two piece, three piece, four I said, Mama, I want more damn apple tires She tasted sweet I had all that I could eat Snack was smaller than my eyes Cause I ate all them seven pies Seven pies, seven pies I ate all them seven pies Three disciples tucked inside I sure love them seven pies Just bake me seven pies, seven pies, seven pies. She just baked me seven pies. Sweet as apple tucked inside. I sure love them seven pies. One thing I think that's interesting to follow up on your question is that uh, there are, it's interesting to watch how musicians react to trying to play, to be folk musicians. Um, like for instance, there's a strong current right now of, especially in young people, of, of playing old time music. And some of them are just like walking musicologists, you know, they, awesome. they can tell you what guy played the fiddle and how he held it and, you know, and what town he came from and who his second cousin was, you know, right. and, and they got all that down. And I, I respect that, and, but I call that reenactment. To some degree, that that's that, that's one way of honoring the folk tradition is to reenact it and try to play it, try to figure out how it sounded in 1920, and then make yourself look and sound exactly like that. You know, and, and that's beautiful. And thank goodness there's people doing that. Mm -hmm. But then there also have to be the renegades, who are just searching. Otherwise, the whole art form will die. So, you know, somebody's got to be out there searching. And I guess that's more what we see ourselves as is is this kind of a searching. Uh, looking for new ways to express the folk position 
and to be, and also to remain culturally relevant. And by and that's by our our Ozark connection. You know, the writing stories that are true stories about Ozark people that are real people seems to keep us maybe somehow grounded and relevant to our audience. That was the Arkansas duo Still on the Hill doing their songs R.I.P. Jack Bland, Seven Pies, and The End. That's not really the end, though. We'll be right back with folklorist Brooks Blevins. You're listening to Ozark Highlands Radio. Thank you. 
are your people? If you've never been asked that question, I would say you haven't spent much time in the Ozarks. It's an age-old method used by locals to size up someone who isn't local or who appears not to be. It's a question with a multitude of unstated inferences. Do you have family around here? Are you an outlander, a foreigner from off? Are you trustworthy, connected, a known quantity? Are you any count? If you're not from around here, just what in the dickens are you doing here anyhow? Who are your people? What if we pose that question to this place, the Ozarks, without the nosy subtexts? Who are the Ozarkers? I recall the day years ago in eighth grade American history class when the tables were turned on the locals, when I first encountered the question of Ozark ethnicity, you might say. We had a new teacher in our little Arkansas school, a young woman from Chicago. On the first day, she asked the class where our families came from. It was her version of, who are your people? We didn't know what she meant. What country did your families come from, she attempted to clarify. America, we stammered collectively and questioningly, perplexed at our teacher's obvious shortcomings with geography. Where did she think we came from? No, what nationalities are your families, she implored. Take me, for instance. I'm Lithuanian. My parents came to the U.S. right after World War II, she told us. In the neighborhood where I grew up, there were Italians and Slovaks and Polish people, too. So where did your families come from? Where's the old country? I recalled hearing that one of my great-grandfathers was born in Georgia, the one whose capital is Atlanta, not Tbilisi. But even at age 13, I was pretty sure that's not what she was getting at. Another student professed an ancient connection with the land of Tennessee, it was a fruitless exercise on her part and ours, and the discussion wandered elsewhere. But it did make me curious to find out who my people were. One of the old romantic chroniclers of the Ozarks would have assured our teacher that she had landed smack dab in the middle of the so-called Anglo-Saxon seedbed, a place where everyone was of strictly British lineage. Others might have claimed that we were descended from the rowdy Scotch-Irish, whose unruly and liberty-loving clans had overrun Appalachia before jumping the Mississippi to invade the Ozarks. Both theories are overly simplistic and fail to account for America's melting pot experience and the many different peoples who've called the Ozarks home. So who were we? We were the Osage and Quapaw who hunted the Ozark Plateau for generations but maintained permanent villages elsewhere. We were the French who claimed the Mississippi Valley for King Louis XIV, mined lead and salt in the hills of southeastern Missouri, and even established a few permanent villages like Old Mines and St. Michael. We were the Cherokee and the Shawnee and the Delaware who tarried for a while in these hills as they were being pushed westward by the encroachment of white settlers. We were the Germans who, before the Civil War, came in droves to the Ozark fringes and proudly maintained their language and customs for generations. We were African Americans who came west in bondage or as free women and men and who numbered in the thousands by the outbreak of Civil War. We were and are a multitude of nationalities and colonies and individuals who came by boat, wagon, or rail, the Italians of Tontitown and Rosati, the Waldensians of Monette, the Poles of Pulaski Field, the Bohemians of Bolivar, the Marshallese, Guatemalans, Mexicans, Vietnamese, and African immigrants of more recent times, all of these groups have had an impact somewhere in the region. 
Yet none of these peoples were numerically significant enough to establish a regional culture to become the people of the Ozarks in the eyes of the nation. The people who fit that bill were westward migrating citizens of the United States who began trickling into the Ozarks when this was still Spanish territory in the 1790s, a trickle that grew into a torrent in the years following the War of 1812. For lack of a better term, we'll call them upland southerners, for the vast majority of them came from or through the hills and mountains and hollers and river valleys of Appalachia. They, too, represented a hodgepodge of ethnicities, English, Scots-Irish, Scots, Welsh, Germans with strains of Native American and African blood mixed in. In the southern backcountry, they were forged into upland southerners, a hardy people who brought to the Ozarks a love of liberty, yes, but also an appreciation for community and the importance of a community's infinite number of skills to ensure survival in a rugged land. They brought with them a reverence for plain folk Protestant religion and an attachment to old world superstitions and lunar signs. They brought with them ancient ballads from the British Isles and thoroughly American fiddle tunes and minstrel songs, parts of an oral tradition that also cherished jack tales and desperado stories. They and their descendants dominated religion, politics, and culture in the Ozarks, from Crawford County, Missouri to Crawford County, Arkansas, for the better part of two centuries. They provided the inspiration for hillbilly stereotypes and later inspired a generation in search of dirt road cornbread authenticity in the folk revival of the 1960s and 70s. Just like those eighth graders, their descendants may have forgotten where their people came from, but their lives continue to reflect traditions, both conscious and unconscious, passed down through the generations back in the hills of the Ozarks. Different from most singer-songwriters, Kelly and Donna Mulholland embellish their songs with a host of unique instruments and the amazing stories that go with them. Let's close our show with three more interesting songs from Still on the Hill. Here we go. Supple and strong While she peeled the bark 
from a white oak log and she sang it my holding song lord she sang it my holding song see i always wanted a banjo but the car straight bushel and a pen mama stretched that cat skin round a hole maze told me she's carved a banjo name and when mama picked up that banjo them hoes are kids would ring strange habits because nobody told us otherwise <laughs> and um, but but I was exposed to things like Pete Seeger and uh, and a lot of old country music when I was little but also some classical music so I was very eclectic from the start and started making up my own music and uh, kind of meandered along and, and, and I played some rock music and some classical music and then at about 30 years old I started being pulled back to the, my beginnings um, and felt like I wanted to get back to my roots and find out where it all came from so yes, for me, it kind of came full circle. Donna has really, really strong country roots, not much more than me. And just grew up playing the old country with my dad in the kitchen, you know, just old Hank Williams and Bob Wills and okay, Charlie so Pride, and, you know, just all that. Okay, so you're kind of more of a legacy to this music, really. It's just, yeah. it's, it's, we're born and raised playing it. But, but it, what we do is, is different than, than that even. I mean, it's kind yeah. of just, become um, a hybrid it's of been, all everything we've, right. we've brought in. My family didn't play music, and so I was all alone. And that, it was not, it just came out of nowhere for me. Yeah. But, yeah. That Ozark sun was beating down, dropped my plow to the rocky ground. And the world turned black in a heart attack And a vision passed before my eyes Was, was I, I dead? dead or alive? I said, Lord, 
Take me to the other side. I became a great tortoise in swift flowing water, clinging to my shell, my sons and my daughters, in a, in a raging river deep and wide. That day I heard the Lord confide, shed your vanity, shed your pride, and I'll see you make it to the other side. I knew that moment, but my fate was sealed when the Lord told me he'd make me a deal. If I deliver my children to that shore, he'd show me what these hands were for, to build guitars in his name. That's what'll do until my dying day. So I grabbed me an axe, my son and me, we felled a big old walnut tree. And I saw that wood up in the boards, and I made a guitar for the Lord. And the Lord looked down and smiled when I gave it away to a little child. Pork chop bone, will for bridge, tailpiece made from a rusty old hinge. Your spring saw blades mounted in the middle. Lord, like a sound when him old parts jiggle. Sawed up frets from brazen rods, carved on the top, true faith, true light. Have faith in God. Made me another, and hundred would follow for nearly every child in hogs called Holland. Oh, but now I'm old and moving slow. But his love still carries me wherever I go. Though I walk with the king, still I rejoice in my Savior's name. And Lord, maybe someday you'll call me again and walk with me to the river's end. Well, I hope you're proud of all I've done. I kept my promises, everyone. And I'll look into your eyes and say, Lord, take me to the other side. I think I, I hope to, that we're very respectful of tradition. Mm -hmm. And in fact, we kind of joke, but very we joke seriously that we, ca we keep one toe in tradition so that we don't meander off into oblivion. Um, you know, because I think it's important to keep those roots intact. Mm -hmm. intact. And, um, and so we, every show we play, we always whip out at least one traditional tune. But because yeah. um, we write our own songs, that automatically makes us not traditional players or old time players because we have that sound and sort of that style, but it's our own songs. And you know, someone wrote those songs back then, yeah. so we're just kind of keeping the stories of the people living now in the Ozarks and keeping their stories alive. And that's kind of what we love to do. We've been slowly switching from um, uh, folk grass to, we lately we've been calling it Ozarkan folk. Build me 
cabin on a mountain so high, so high I can see the cuckoo every time she flies by. was the Arkansas duo Still on the Hill, playing their original songs, Yellow Cat Banjo, Take Me to the Other Side, and a traditional song, The Cuckoo. That's it for this week's Ozark Highlands Radio. For more information about what you've heard today, as well as playlists for all our shows, be sure to visit us on the web at ozarkhighlandsradio.com. Until next week, I'm Dave Smith. Ozark Highlands Radio is produced by Jeff Glover. Executive producer is Darren Dorton. Additional support for this program comes from the Committee of 100, proudly supporting the Ozark Folk Center State Park since 1974. And by Arkansas State Parks, with 52 unique reasons to visit the natural state. More information online at arkansasstateparks.com. For information on upcoming shows and events, we are on the web at ozarkhighlandsradio.com. Until next time, I'm Donna Farrar.